Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. MLBC is led by Pastor Dennis Fountain and exists to help real people going through real life experience real change through our incredible God. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Seven, and we're continuing in our study, of course, looking at uh, at the uh, Jesus Christ and his ministry. If you know the book of Luke, it was written by Luke to Theophilus, trying to, again, trying to just help uh, Theophilus recognize who Jesus was. And so we've been talking all about that. This morning, we're going to dive into a great portion of scripture that I know will be a help to every single person that's here this morning. Let me ask you a question. How many of you remember, um, you remember the science fair when you were in like junior high and high school? How many remember those? You remember those? How many of you, you did a volcano in, high, in junior high or high school? Okay. That's usually the go-to is volcano, baking soda, whatever other chemicals you have, you can go into there. I remember in the sixth grade, uh, it was about maybe seventh grade, and it came time for the, uh, the science fair. And I remember my teacher, it was sixth grade, Mr. Bjork was his name. We called him Mr. B. And it uh, came time for the science fair. And so I was trying to decide, you know, what I was going to do for the science fair and how I was going to be involved in the science fair. And my mom came up with this great idea. And I believe she had an ulterior motive, and you'll catch that in a minute. Here's my mom's idea. She said, hey, I think you should test out bathtub cleaners. And I was like, well, what do you mean, Mom? And she's like, test out bathtub cleaners, you know. You need to go through and get all of the different brands of bathtub cleaners and figure out which one cleans a bathtub the best. Now, again, I think she had ulterior motives. Uh, all the moms here are like, yep, she did. Uh, she had an ulterior motive, but I, I did that. And so at the time, I got Ajax, and I got Comet, and I got, uh, you know, the, the, um, the four or five different bathtub cleaners. And here's what you're supposed to do when you... Um, when you do a, a science project, you have to come up with your hypothesis. Well, what is your hypothesis? Well, that is your claim of, I believe, I believe that Comet Cleaner will be the best cleaner there is for a bathtub. You have to have your hypothesis. But then you go through the, um, you go through all the testing phase. And during the testing phase, what do you do? You test your theory. Why do you test your theory? Well, you have to validate, listen, you have to validate your claim. You have to validate your claim. Now, here's what we're going to see. There's going to be dogs running around, people walking, animals, all this stuff. We'll be fine, all right? Um, you have to validate your claim when you come up with a hypothesis. Why? you got to prove it to be true. So I remember I went through and I did all of the, uh, all of the work, and I did all of the work, and my mom managed all of the work. And she would, you know, I got down in there. I remember our first tub, and I did, she had me do sections. So I did Comet in one area, Ajax in one area, and two or three other cleaners. So that whole tub was covered in stuff. And then I scrubbed, and she's like, well, keep doing it. Keep scrubbing. You know, I scrubbed more. <laughs> and uh, I scrubbed out all of our bathtubs in the house. And I think I even might have done uh, their shower. And I'm thinking, why am I doing this? But anyway, I got through that entire science fair project. And I, some of you are like, well, which one came out? I have no clue. I still, I, I don't know. I think maybe Ajax won at the time. But I remember this, that when I showed up back to school, 
and I gave them my hypothesis, I was able to give them validation for my hypothesis. It wasn't just a claim, I believe that Ajax is the best, I believe that Comet is the best. I had, I had to prove it. I had to validate it. This morning, many of you here, you, uh, you make a claim in your life. I make a claim in my life. The claim is we're followers of Jesus Christ. There are people here that you know for certain that Jesus is in your life. And if you're here this morning and you don't know where you'd spend eternity, you don't know that Jesus Christ is in your life, I'm going to speak to that in just a minute. But for those of you that do know, for those of you that know Jesus is in your life, you make a claim. Your life is stating a hypothesis. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this question. What do you think it is that is the, what is the best validation for your claim? What is the best way to prove you're a follower of Jesus? This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to be in the book of Luke in chapter number 7. And we're going to discover what the best validation for your claim of being a follower of Jesus we're going to discover what the best validation is. Because some would say, well, it's being able to have logical arguments. And that's good. You should be able to logically uh, prove what you believe. Some would say, well, it's uh, the promise of eternal life itself. That's the best way to prove it. Well, obviously, you need to know truth. Obviously, you need to know the promises of eternal life. But this morning... The statement we're going to look at is this statement. That a transformed life, or a changed life, is the most powerful demonstration of a belief in and a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah. Here's what I mean by that. You and I living out what we believe, it proves our claim better than anything. You ever known somebody that's made a claim that they couldn't prove? I've maybe given the illustration before growing up in the, you know, in the 80s and early 90s, you had people who skateboarded. You had real skaters, and then you had posers. How many of you remember that word, posers, from the, from the 80s and 90s? And it'd be that guy that carried the skateboard around, and he wore the vans, and he had the baggy jeans, and he had, he had the skater shirt, and he'd wear that, you know, take it around, and he'd talk about his ollie and how he could do tricks. And you know what somebody would say to him? Prove it. And he'd go, well, bro, my truck's broken, my wheel's busted. And you'd be like, you can't do an ollie. And prove it. You know what? There's a lot of people out there who claim to be a follower of Jesus, but their life doesn't prove it. Yeah. They don't have a life that validates it. Today we're going to look in Luke chapter 7 and discover that a changed life, a transformed life, is the best way that you can prove that you're a follower of Jesus. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to read the passage. We'll pray. We'll learn the story. And then we're going to look at five very quick lessons from this passage to help us see what we're talking about today. So you can stay seated as we read this morning, Luke chapter number 7, and beginning in verse number 36 of Luke chapter 7, it says this, And one of the Pharisees, verse 36, desired him that he would eat with him. 
And he, Jesus, went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping. She began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and did, uh, excuse me, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Verse 39. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, he would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, and one owed five hundred pence, and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he, Jesus, said unto him, Simon, thou hast rightly judged. And he, Jesus, turned to the woman and said to Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for because she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we pray that you would help us this morning as we look into your word. God, I pray that you'd speak to us. I pray, God, that you would help us to hear from you. I pray, Lord, that if there is anyone here that does not know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, God, I pray that today would be the day that they put their faith and their trust completely in you. We love you, God, and we pray that you bless our time together. Now, before I close my prayer, would you, in the quietness of your own heart, once again, would you just ask God to speak to you today? You can pray something simple. Dear God, please speak to me today. And then would you make a commitment? God, if you speak to me, I'm listening. Lord, again, we pray that you bless our time. Help us to hear from you. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. As we come to Luke chapter number 7, I will say for those of you that maybe are familiar a little bit with the story, don't get this mixed up with uh, Mary Magdalene, who are Mary in uh, John chapter number 12, who anointed Jesus' feet with oil. This is a different, uh, different story. On this day, here's the story, here's the scenario, what we have taking place. Of course, Jesus has been traveling in Capernaum. That's the northern region of Galilee. He's been healing people. He's been teaching 
teaching uh, incredible truths. He's been saying things that people are really standing up to say, man, that is completely contradictory to the way we think. The Bible actually says in the book of Matthew in chapter number 73, or uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter number 7, not chapter 73, there aren't 72 chapters in Matthew. Matthew chapter number 7 Toward the end of it, uh, it says that the people were astonished at the words that Jesus spoke. They were always going, they were marveling, they were wondering at the words that he spoke. And so he's been teaching all of these things. And of course, we know, those of you that have been uh, with us on our series, there's a number of people that have been following Jesus. Uh, his entourage, if you will, is made up of multitudes of people. There are real followers who will really believe in Jesus. There are fringe followers. They're kind of like, I don't know if this guy's real or if this is true. He might be. I think he is. There are people who are skeptics. Kind of the, uh, the skeptics were just like, yeah, let's see him do one more thing. And then there were those, we would label them as scoffers. This would be the Pharisees. They scoffed at what Jesus did, and they were always trying to find fault with him. Well, on this particular day, Jesus is approached by a man by the name of Simon. He's a Pharisee. He's a scoffer. He's one that was uh, trying to, trying to uh, catch Jesus in a lie. And this man invites Jesus to dinner, to a banquet. Now, when you and I think about a banquet... Uh, in our day and age, a banquet, you know, you have someone over, they come into your house, and it's kind of just the guests that you invited. During Jesus' time, whenever, and, and it's still this way a little bit among some of the religious leaders in, in Israel, but when Jesus was invited into the Pharisee's house, whenever you invited someone into a banquet, there's open doors. They have a door, probably, but the windows would be open, just covered by curtains. And so usually... Anybody was allowed to listen in to your banquet. So if you had a dignitary, if you had somebody important, or you had a teacher like Jesus come over, then people could listen in. So here's what's taking place. Jesus goes over to Simon's house for a banquet. There would be a bunch of people that would be on the outside that would be listening in. They would be on the outskirts of the room. Many of them could come in. They would be listening in through the windows. Because what does this teacher, this great teacher, have to say? And what is Simon going to ask him? And so, as Jesus is here on this day, the Bible says that a woman shows up. She's a woman of the streets. She is someone whose life would definitely not identify with the Pharisee, the religious person. As a matter of fact, the religious person looked at the woman with condemnation, and, and Simon and the Pharisees would look at the woman and think, what is she doing here? But here's what happens. If you know the setting, they wouldn't sit at a table like we do. You know, you look at these picnic tables that are back there. You, you, you sit at a table, your feet are down on the ground, you're on a chair. That's not how they would do it. They would actually, they would kind of be in a, um, a recliner type. And they would, I'm, I'm going to do it. They'd do this. It'd be sitting and uh, it wouldn't be wet. They would have their, their arm on the table. They'd be eating, but their feet would be kind of behind them. And so Jesus is there and the Bible says this, that that woman from the streets... She comes and she finds herself toward the feet of Jesus. And as she's there, listen, she begins sobbing. 
She begins weeping. No doubt, she's weeping for a number of reasons. This woman, she believes that Jesus is the Messiah. She already has faith in him. And she's there thinking, I am undeserving. I don't deserve to be in the same room as this Jesus, as this Messiah. And as she's weeping, she looks down at his feet. They're there on that recliner, and she sees his feet, and as she looks at his feet, she realizes how dirty they are. Now the custom, the custom would have been, as soon as somebody enters your home, you wash their feet, or you have a servant wash their feet. That's the custom. That would be known. It would be expected. But apparently this hasn't taken place. She looks down and she sees Jesus' feet dirty, and maybe in that moment she thinks, I, I want to wash his feet. This is the Messiah. I, I want to serve him somehow. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful we don't have the custom of washing feet. <laughs> With her tears, she thinks, well, I don't have any water, I don't have a rag. So she allows her tears to fall on his feet, and then and she lets down her hair. Again, I don't have time to do it this morning, but in the culture, that would be something that would be looked down upon, mm -hmm. for a woman to let down her hair. She begins to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair. A lot of the ladies, they would have a, around their neck, they would have a little tincture, a little bottle of perfume. She would have that, that uh, that's the alabaster box. She would take that bottle and she broke it open, anointed Jesus' feet while she's wiping with her hair with the tears as the moisture. This is, this is a totally humble approach mm -hmm. to Jesus. She doesn't care who's watching. She doesn't, she doesn't care what else is taking place. And in that moment, as she's wiping the feet of Jesus, and as she anointed him with oil, and as she is there anointing him with that perfume, Simon. Simon looks over, and if you read what we just read, he, he thinks in his heart, he thinks this. <laughs> that man is, this man isn't a problem. He's no one special. Because if he was someone special... He would know who this woman is. He wouldn't let her touch him. She's a woman of the streets. She's a, she's a woman of many relationships. She's a woman who, and he would begin, he begins to degrade this woman in his mind. Well, Jesus, being the Messiah, he reads Simon's mind. And he says to Simon, Hey, Simon, I got a question for you. And Simon, in arrogance, he says, Master, say on. He just kind of perks up and, yeah, you know, Jesus is going to give me something and I'm going to look good in front of all of these people. He doesn't know that Jesus is reading his mind. Jesus says, I'm, I want to present to you a, a thought. I'm going to give you two people. Two people, this, this guy right here, he borrows money from somebody. He, he borrows, let's say, 50 bucks. Borrows $50. You have this guy over here. This guy borrows $500. Well, Simon, 
Neither one of them can pay the creditor. They can't pay their debt. And so the person who loaned the money, Simon, he forgives both of them. So Simon, let me ask you a question. Out of the two men that are forgiven, the one for $50, the one for $500, which one loves the creditor the most? And Simon, he says, well, I suppose the one who's been forgiven the most, the one who has the biggest debt. And Jesus says, you're right. You can imagine Simon sitting there going, hmm. He said, I'm right. I wonder if everybody heard that. Maybe he looked at his wife and he says, hey, did you hear that? I was right. <laughs> and then Jesus says, now, Simon, let me tell you the lesson. Simon, the person who loves the most is the person who realizes that they've been forgiven. Hey, Simon, when I came into your house, you're supposed to wash my feet, but you didn't. You ignored that. It's customary, Simon. It wasn't just customary for them. Like, it was all culture. Simon, you didn't do that. As a matter of fact, Simon, when I came in, you're supposed to anoint me with oil because of, in those days you're walking around in the heat and the stink, and so it's, it's cultural. When you come in, you get anointed with something that smells better. Simon, when I came in, you didn't anoint me with oil. Hey, Simon, when I came in, you didn't even greet me with a kiss. Now, again, this is cultural, and I'm glad we don't do it anymore. Okay, culturally, when you greet with a kiss, I mean, still... It's those of you that have been to Israel with us. Maybe you, when you went, I have friends there that oh, there it is, and I'm like ah, please don't kiss me. It's a greeting there. Here we shake hands. So here's what Jesus says: When I came into the house, you didn't even greet me properly. But here's what you here's what you're missing, Simon. She's washed my feet. She's anointed me with oil. Since I came in, she has not stopped kissing me. The word the word kiss that's here, it literally means to embrace. So it wasn't just her kissing with the lips, his feet. It was her hugging his feet. It was, listen, she was completely worshiping Jesus. Now we read this and it's kind of maybe a little weird to us in our culture. It wasn't weird to them. Simon didn't go, oh my goodness, what is she doing? Simon went, oh my goodness, I can't believe she's doing that. Mm -hmm. She knew it was, he knew it was cultural. He knew it was supposed to be done, but she shouldn't be the one doing it. She shouldn't be the one greeting him like this. She shouldn't be the one washing his feet. She shouldn't be the one anointing, anointing him with oil. And yet Jesus is there and he's teaching Simon a lesson. This woman, she was showing worship, she was showing humility, she was giving something that was costly and she was displaying an act of love and an act of understanding by everything that she was doing. Now in the story, we've got to understand this, that Jesus wasn't saying to this woman, your gift has saved you. Jesus said, your faith has saved you. And that's in the past tense, meaning that she has been saved already. Mm -hmm. This wasn't her moment of coming to Jesus. No, this was her moment of showing everybody that she had come to Jesus. 
this was her moment of validating her new belief by saying to everybody, I'm a follower of Jesus and my life is going to back it up. There are a number of things that we could do. There's a lot that we could look at in this story. But I want you to look with me on your handout. I want you to learn five very quick lessons. Five lessons from this story that stand out to me that I think will be a help to us today. First lesson is this. First lesson. No matter who you are, Jesus loves you. You say, well, Pastor, that's kind of a no-brainer lesson. Yeah, but it's seen to us in this story. It's kind of proven to us in this story. How? Because you have Simon, the religious Pharisee. And then you have a woman of the streets with no name. In that spectrum is everybody that's in between. You see, when Jesus was invited to Simon's house, he didn't say, no, I don't go, I don't go sit at pious people's houses. He didn't say that. When the woman approached Jesus, he didn't say, get away from me, thou art wicked. He didn't say that. Do you know what I see in this, in that thought? I see this truth, that Jesus did not reject the invitation of Simon, the pious or religious Pharisee, nor did he push away the worship of the sinful woman. The fact is this, that we would expect Jesus to tell a Pharisee, you're too proud for me, and we would expect Jesus to tell a woman, you're too profane for me. But... No matter who you are, Jesus loves you, and I'm going to say it this way, he has time for you. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever been at a place where you just think, I feel like God ignores me. I feel like God doesn't have time for me. Hey, if you're honest, every one of us have been there. I have been there. I'm going to be completely honest. I've been here this week. I've been here this week saying, God, like, we're still here, God. You know what I was reminded of this week? No matter who you are, hey, Jesus loves you and he has time for you. And he still says this in the verses there on your handout in Matthew 28, when he says, come unto me, all ye that labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest under your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. What does that mean? It just means no matter who you are, Jesus says, I love you, and I have time for you. And this week, the devil's going to crawl up on your shoulder, and he's going to say, you're a nobody, and Jesus doesn't care. You know, you can say, you're right, I'm a nobody, but my God is a somebody, and he does care. Amen. And no matter who you are, Jesus loves you and he has time for you. Lesson number two. Lesson number two is simply this. Jesus deserves our worship from a heart heart of humility. Jesus deserves our worship from a heart of humility. I love this. I love the woman in this story because she didn't know that this was going to be recorded for all of history. And yet here she is on the pages of the word of God, unnamed and uncaring about what people thought. She just had a heart that said, I want to worship Jesus. I want to bow before him humbly. I want to wash his feet. She didn't care what anybody else was doing. This woman was completely in on worshiping Jesus Christ. She understood who he was and she understood what he had done for her or what he was going to do for her. They didn't know about the cross. She didn't know about the resurrection. She just knew this is the Messiah. 
Messiah, and he deserves my worship. Hey, my friend, can I tell you this morning that while Jesus does love you and care for you, Jesus still deserves for you and I to worship him. What does that mean? We should be ascribing worth to him. We should be living a life that says, God, you are worth something to me. It's not too much to give you some of my time. It's not too much to speak about you toward my friends. God, it's not too much to come and worship you. God, it's not too much to follow you and pursue you. Why? Because Jesus deserves worship from a heart of humility. Sometimes if we have trouble, if I have trouble thinking about my worship toward him, you know what I do is I just begin to think about all that he's done for me. Have you thought about all that Jesus has done for you? I mean... Number one, if you know him as your Savior, he's given you life and forgiveness because of the cross. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, let me tell you this morning that Jesus loves you and he died on the cross for you. Every single person will spend eternity somewhere. And the Bible says that you can be 100% sure you're going to heaven all because of what Jesus has done for you. And if you've never put your faith and your trust in him, I hope today would be the day that you come and put your faith in Jesus. The fact of the matter is, Jesus has done so much for us. And he deserves all of our worship from a heart of humility. The Word of God says in Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Lesson number three. Lesson number three is this. It is not your responsibility or my responsibility to determine who Jesus should or should not love. It's not your responsibility or my responsibility to determine who Jesus should or should not love. You know what this, excuse me, you know what this Pharisee did? He took it upon himself to say, Jesus shouldn't be loving her. Jesus shouldn't allow this. Jesus shouldn't. You know what we often do? We say, God, I want your grace and forgiveness in my life, but they don't deserve it. God, I want your grace and forgiveness in my life, but you don't know what that person said. You don't know what that person did. God, I deserve it, but they don't. Hey, listen, I'm so glad today that Jesus said these words, whosoever will may come. Hey, it's not your place. It's not my place to determine who Jesus should or should not love. Think about the psalmist in Psalm 139. He said this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. What is that? It's the psalmist saying, Hey, search me, God. Not search everybody else or use me to search everybody else. I am not the measuring stick. You know what we do sometimes? We say, well, God, I deserve it, but they don't because they're a worse person than me. Do we know that sin is sin all across the board? Some of us think that we deserve God's goodness and kindness, but the fact of the matter is we're all sinners before God. None of us deserve it. And so it's not my place to determine who should or should not have the love of God in their life. Lesson number four. And this is the fastest we've ever got through a message. (laughs) Lesson number four is this. Jesus desires to forgive everyone. 
Jesus desires to forgive everyone. <coughs> Excuse me, one of, the, one of the themes of this passage is the forgiveness of Jesus. As a matter of fact, that's what he teaches Simon. Hey, Simon, who, who loves the forgiver the most? And Simon says, well, the one who's been forgiven the most. What is Jesus trying to do? Here's what Jesus is trying to help Simon understand. Hey, Simon, you think that this woman is the only one that needs forgiveness, but Simon, you need forgiveness. And as a matter of fact, when we read this story, we think, oh, well, Jesus is saying, Simon, you've been forgiven five, and this woman's been forgiven 500. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not talking about the amount of sin. He's talking about the understanding of forgiveness. Hey, Simon, you think you don't need forgiveness? But you're in the same spot she is. You're without me. You know what, you know what I love about Jesus Christ is the fact that he says anybody can receive him. We live in a culture that says to believe in one Jesus is, uh, is, is, is bigotry and is saying, you know what, uh, I, I, I am uh, secluding, secluding it, and I'm saying that Jesus is against everybody else. No, no, no. Jesus is all-inclusive. And he says, I want everyone to receive forgiveness. Right. And all throughout the story of Jesus, all throughout his life, do you know what he kept doing? He kept approaching the Pharisees. He kept saying to his enemies that they would be the reason that he would get crucified, one of the reasons he'd get crucified. And yet, you know what Jesus kept doing? He kept coming to them and teaching them and speaking to them. Why? Because Jesus pursues people. Hey, can I tell you this morning, if you're here and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, God is pursuing you. You say, well, why? I'm nobody. That's right. We're all nobodies, but we have a somebody God who pursues every single one of us. And if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know what he's doing? He's going to be knocking on the heart of your life, pursuing you, saying, everybody needs my forgiveness. Everybody needs the Savior. And that's a lesson that we see in this, the fact that Jesus desires to forgive everyone why? Because we've all sinned. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible still says this, that if we confess our sins, He, Jesus, is faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My friend, I want to tell you this morning, if you are here and you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus, people will say, well, if you're good enough. I had a friend of mine this week that doesn't know Jesus I was talking with her about the Lord, and, and she said, Well, Dennis, let's just hope that we all do good enough so when we get to heaven, we're, we're in. And you know what? That's not what the Bible says. Yeah. The Bible doesn't say if you're good enough, you go to heaven. The Bible doesn't say if you go to church, you go to heaven. The Bible doesn't say we're going to have a baptism service this morning. The Bible doesn't say if you get baptized, you go to heaven. Now the Bible says this, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yeah. The only way that you can know for sure you're going to heaven, the only way that you can have forgiveness, is if you put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ, recognizing He died on the cross for your sin. He was buried. Three days later, He rose again to prove to you that He is the Messiah. To prove to you that He is the only one 
that, for, that can forgive you of your sin. And if you're here this morning, whether this is your first time or your 100th time, and in your life you would say, I don't know that Jesus Christ is in my life, I want to tell you this morning, Jesus desires to forgive anyone that will come to him. Yeah. You say, well, how do I make that decision? Well, the Bible teaches all you have to do is confess that you believe in your heart. God, I believe. I believe that you're the Messiah. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe that he rose again from the dead. And today I'm putting my faith and my trust in him. If you've never made that decision today, I hope and I pray that you make that decision today. Because Jesus desires to forgive everyone. Last lesson. Lesson number five. Look at it with me. It's this truth that a changed life validates the gospel more than we realize. In this story, this passage does not deal again with the amount of sin in a person's life, but the awareness of the forgiveness of that sin in their heart. You see, the Pharisee was comparing his sin with the sin of the woman, but the woman was not comparing her sin with anyone. She was just thankful that she had found the Messiah, and her actions show her love, her gratitude, and her appreciation for what Jesus had done. She understood that she did not deserve to have the Messiah in her life. She understood that she did not deserve forgiveness. She understood that she was a great sinner. And here's what she did in her actions. She said, with her actions, I follow you. She said with her actions, I know I've been forgiven. She, she said with her actions, I am a complete follower of Jesus. Her actions validate her claim. And Jesus looks to her and he says, hey, you've been forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Past tense. Hey, you made that decision before and I want you to know people are seeing it. And so here's the thought I would say this morning, and you see it right there. Every Christian should be marked by a life that testifies or tells people of the love and forgiveness placed upon them by God. You know, this morning we're out here in the uh, open air, and there are people maybe around that would say, what are they doing over there? Why would they gather publicly on a Sunday morning? What is going on? Hey, listen, I, have, I, I pray that I would have the unashamed uh, desire to just publicly proclaim, we are here to worship Jesus, and we do that unashamedly. Yeah. Now, it's easy when there's, you know, 150 of us. It's not so easy on Tuesday at work. Yeah. I mean, I work with unsaved people, too. Praying for Pastor Rob all the time. <laughs> I'm kidding. Listen, as we go in and day in and day out in our work, and as we go all throughout the community, and as we continue doing things, hey, you know what people need to see? They need to see your life saying, no matter what's going on, I worship Jesus. No matter what's going on, I bow before Jesus. No matter what's going on, I speak about Jesus. And yeah. I would just ask you this morning, does your life show the change that Jesus is bringing into your life? Because a changed life validates the gospel more than we realize. Here's a couple of questions I want to ask you today. If you look at this situation, would you look at this and, I mean, can you even imagine yourself doing what this woman did? Can you even imagine yourself, listen, can you imagine yourself washing his feet with your hair, with your tears, anointing his feet? And in the midst of everybody, can you imagine 
your life showing that He means something to you. Because this morning, if you'd say, you know what, I can't. I can't imagine that. I want to tell you today, you don't have to bow and wash His feet. You don't have to anoint Him with oil. Hey, look up here. You don't have to do a bunch of things like we read in this story. No, you know what you have to do? The Bible helps me understand. When I wake up every day and I realize how much I've been forgiven, it'll help me remember that I can love Him. And I love Him by how I speak about Him. I show my love for Him by how I talk to others about Him. I show my love for Him by how I live my life each and every day. I love what one man said, and the quote is there in your handout as we wrap this up this morning. He said this, It is a profuse love for Christ that is the single greatest proof, visible to people, of the power of the gospel. But an ungrateful, loveless Christian undercuts the testimony of the gospel. Hey, listen, a changed life validates the gospel more than we realize. So I want to close today by asking or giving you two thoughts, two questions. Number one, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, is your life showing others that transformation? If you know Jesus Christ, is your life showing others, I've been changed? Are you living a life in such a way that people would look and say, man, that person is a Christian? But if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ is in your life, today, today would you choose to put your faith in Him? He loves you. He died on the cross for you. He rose again to prove that He's Jesus, the Messiah. And today He desires for you to put your faith in Him. I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed.